Amen. You may be seated. Amen. Amen. Well, welcome everyone. Online, those on Facebook and YouTube, welcome. It is Father's Day, so happy Father's Day to all you fathers. Now, Father's Day. Father's Day came about. How did Father's Day come about? Does anybody know? Well, they had Mother's Day. And then a guy started saying, what's going on? So they said, okay, we'll have Father's Day. And so a month later, just so we don't forget the guys, we have Father's Day. And obviously it's a cultural thing, and it was, it was funny, yesterday's at men's lunch, we were sitting and we have a brother who's visiting from Dubai, and, and there it's very different, right? I mean, it's a totally different culture. I don't even know if they have Father's Day over there. I, I don't. I don't know if he's even here this morning. Are you here this morning? Brother from Dubai? No? Okay. Anyway, he, he can tell you if they have a Father's Day. I have no idea if they have Father's Day in Dubai. But he's here, he's visiting for a month. And by the way, yes, all the, all the youth and, and the children, you can go down. You can go down. But today I want to take a focus on Father's Day, but not necessarily just because we culturally as Canadians have said, we're going to have a Father's Day, we're going to celebrate it. Because in reality, we should be looking at fathers the way the Bible looks at fathers. We should be looking at fathers as men. And this, what do we expect from fathers as men? What does God expect, more importantly, from fathers as men? And how can we appreciate them? How can we appreciate the role of the father and the role of the man? And right now in the West, I can tell you, um, things aren't necessarily going the way that I thought they would five years ago. I mean, there's a documentary, some of you guys might have seen this, a documentary out there that's caused quite a controversy. Uh, what is a woman? Yeah, it's about a guy who does this documentary and he goes out and because of a lot of the sort of gender type of cultural interpretation of what's going on right now in society, he goes around and asks people what is a woman and uh, people don't want to answer them. A lot of them don't want to answer them. And in, in our culture, we've, we've separated biological identity and gender identity. And we have completely separated the two. And that has caused quite a bit of a stir in our culture. I mean, it, it's... It's causing a lot of debate. It's causing a lot of concern. And so you, you ask yourself, well, what is a woman? Well, what is a man? You know, what is a man? What is a father? You know, his father, the general of years past, comes into the house. All right, where's my newspapers? Where's my slippers? Is that, is that the ideal vision of a man and a father? In my opinion, in my opinion today, you know what I see men? I used to play squash a lot. I haven't played in a few years since, since COVID. I used to go to the gym. And nothing against men who work out. Nothing against My cousin, who I love, he's a Christian, 
loving Christian man, lives in France, and I remember as a kid, he used to lift weights, but because he worked in a quarry, he used to own a quarry, but he couldn't afford the weights, you know, because back in Portugal, it just wasn't a thing, you know? So he got an iron bar, and he actually took rocks and made them into bowls, and he, when he lifted weights and did stuff like that, he looked like Flintstone, you know, like, you know? And he was a very strong man, but that was his thing, and he would work out in the quarry where he works, where, you know, he would make a living. And there's nothing wrong with, with working out, but one thing I do notice when I used to go to the gym and I used to go play my squashes, all the guys would work out, and they would stand in front of the mirror. You know? And then they'd go and they'd go to their lockers and they'd get this powder and they'd mix it up and... Then they compare it, oh, what did you got? Oh, I got this brand, and I got this brand, and it does this, and you got to take it. And it's this whole science now. Like, even my son tells me, okay, Dad, if you drink, if you eat protein at this point in time, it's going to bulk you up. I said, wow, it's gotten that scientific. But then when I see some of these men, and they have to have some form of conviction Because there's appearance of strength, and then there's strength, and there's a difference. And so, is fatherhood and manhood the general of the past? Or what I call what I see happening in society is, you know those little flaky, passion flaky desserts? They look so pretty. They got sweetness on the inside, and they look so perfect. And when you bite into them, they sort of fall apart on you. That's what I see happening to men today. Take one bite, and they fall apart. That is not the man of the Bible. The man of the Bible is not a general, and he's not flaky. The man of the Bible becomes the father that God has asked the man to be. And today, I want to deep dive into what Scripture says about what a man should be and what a father should be. Amen? Amen. Today, culture says, um, whatever you feel like, whatever you identify, that's who you are. You can be part of culture if that's what you identify. You can be part of culture. But God doesn't think of you that way, doesn't see you that way. He doesn't label you that way. In fact, you can you know, think of the things that you do. Um, I'm a Canadian. I, I could be an accountant or an electrician. I'm a mother. There's lots of different labels that we have in society. But there's one label that is far more important that should come to your mind when somebody says who you are. Who are you? I'm a child of God. That should be the first thing that comes to mind. Everything else doesn't matter. My Canadian citizenship doesn't matter. I'm thankful I'm a Canadian citizen and I have certain things. But it doesn't matter. The distance and importance between me being a child of God and me being whatever else 
that distance is so great and should be so great in our hearts, in our minds, in everything we do. Everything we do. Because as soon as we start to accept the labels and identities that culture tries to create, you start to diminish what God has created in you and created you to be. Let me repeat that. As soon as you start to accept the labels that culture gives you as important and valuable in your life, you start to diminish what God has labeled you as in life. We need to be what God calls us to be. And it's great that we have a Father's Day, but what is a father? Because I'd rather know what God says a father should be, what God calls a father to be, than what society says. Ours, Dubai, Portugal, Korea. I pick on Portugal and Korea because I'm Portuguese. My wife's Korean. I think I'm allowed to do that without getting in trouble. But it doesn't matter where you go doesn't matter where you go, there is a consistent way that God calls us to be. And I want to encourage today, I want to encourage today, men, there is a way to be a man that is from the Lord, that is biblical. There's a way to be a father. And don't look outside for that. Look to the Lord for that. Amen? And this is ironic because as I, I, you know, I, I look around and you know, I follow a lot of the media and stuff that's going on, it's important for me to stay abreast as to what's happening culturally because not only are you exposed to it at work, but your children are exposed to it at school, in university, your neighbors, everybody is exposed to it. And so it's funny how you know, there's, there's all this labeling coming out. Like, there's one out there called toxic masculinity. That's a really weird one for me. And I've had some people online sort of challenge people to say, well, what is toxic masculinity? Describe it. I think actually Jordan Peterson, I think I saw him ask that question once. And at the end of it, actually, it was quite insightful. It was either him or somebody else. And as soon as they finished describing it, he says, well, I know women who are that way too. So why do we use that label? There's toxic masculinity and there's toxic femininity. There's toxic humanness. Why? Because of sin. It's about sin. It all comes down to sin. People don't want to talk about sin. They don't like the word sin. Well, there's a word. It's called sin. It's in the Bible. And so that's why culture can't understand a Christian. And that's why you won't be understood. If you behave the way God wants us to behave, 
you will not be mis- you will not be understood. You won't. You will not be understood. In fact, as Christians, and this is happening, and, and I'm I'm very surprised this is happening in universities, and and young adults can attest to this, that are going to universities. They have this view of Christianity that is not very flattering. And sometimes almost mind-blowing. And I saw this, I saw this clip online. This is Christian. He goes to this university. And all of a sudden, all these women start attacking him because he's talking about God. And they start saying, you're just a white man. Toxic white man coming to us with a book written by a white man. And they're just attacking him, attacking him, attacking him. And then it's almost like God planted this, you know. Then this brother who looked, I think he's Nigerian or something, the brother comes along and is hearing all these academic white women and, 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 and other guys talk about the white Bible. And so this, this Nigerian guy goes, wait a minute. It wasn't white guys who wrote the Bible. They weren't Westerners. And they just stood there flabbergasted. Uh, didn't you know that? And it was almost like the truth hit them in the face and they didn't know how to accept the truth. And it's almost like they walked away and went back to their own world of what they believe. And so what I'm asking today is for you to be a man, but the more of a man that you be the way God wants you to be, there's two things that are going to happen. You're going to start to be a light, but you're also, just like at night, when you shine a light, things will either be drawn to it, or you'll see a lot of things on the floor scurrying away from it. And that's what's going to happen. If you don't want to be noticed, then take a nap, turn off the TV, because we're going to talk about what it means to be a man and what it means to be noticed as a man of God today. Amen? Amen. All right. Let's get into it. All right. So if I take... The Bible, the Bible says, always judge things by its fruit, right? We're to judge things by the fruit of what they produce, right? Prophets, everything. It's, it's, it's a constant theme in the Bible. It is how we are to judge things. You judge people by their fruit. You judge their ministry by their fruit. You judge things by their fruit. So let's look at society here in Canada by the fruit of what's happening in homes with fathers. And this is what's happening. The rate of fathers in the home is going down every year more and more. Father involvement in people's lives is decreasing every year. And it's not getting better. It is not. And so people will say to you, well, that's okay. We can substitute that. Substitute it with what? Substitute it with what? 
So let's look at the fruit of what we have created in our society. All you have to do is look at the children. Now, not all children who grow up in a fatherless home end up in disaster. Some actually make it through. And I've talked about a friend of mine who's Christian, and I'm going to talk about him today a little later, who survived that. And he's got a beautiful family who's following God. His children are young adults, married and following God. But he didn't start off that way. But these are the challenges he faced. And this is what's happening in our society in the West. Are you ready? Children who grew up in a fatherless home are 10 times more likely to be involved in substance abuse, drugs, alcohol. 10 times more likely. That's huge. Four times as many children without a father in a home are poor than those with a father in a home. Four times. Children from a fatherless home attempt suicide twice, 100% more than children who have a father in a home. Suicide. Nine times more likely to drop out of school. Nine times more likely when there's no father in home. 70% of teenage pregnancies come from children, girls, who have no father in the home. Think about it. Girls need a father just as much as they do a mother and when they can't find it in the home they try to look for it elsewhere nine times greater are girls who grow in a, grow in a who grow up in a fatherless home to be assaulted it's a big problem but nine times more that's the fruit You see the fruit of what we call fathers today and men today? This is the fruit. We follow that model, this is what we get. Children who grow up in a fatherless home are 11 times more likely to be violent than those who grow up with a father in home. And and people will want you to believe, oh, you know, fathers are, you know, very command and control, they're not, there's no feeling, they, there's, you know, they, don't, they don't provide anything really. Children become 11 times more likely to be more violent. Here's, here's an interesting one, here's the biggest one. Children who come from a fatherless home are 20 times more likely than those that, come, that have a father in home to end up in prison. 20 times more. What does a fatherless home mean? It means that they don't have a man in their life that's an example of what God intended a man to be. 
And so they've done study upon study, and they've asked why. Well, as children get older, they'll tell you, "I didn't feel supported. I felt abandoned. Was it my fault? Was it my fault?" On top of that, can you imagine not having a father in the home? What kind of guidance, protection, and supervision do they get? And I get it. Sometimes things happen, but it is so important for a man to be in the life of children. If not a biological father, somebody needs to be in their life. This is the fruit of what sin has done in society, and so judge by the fruit. Judge by the fruit. What kind of men are we producing? What kind of boys are we producing? Not even talking about. The kind of man or father that, in my culture, they tried to produce, and I've told you this before. You know, like <laughs> I used to go to Portugal, and, and I've told you the story before. I'm going to tell it to you again. So, if you guys already heard it, sorry, you're going to hear it again. And this is what they do to young boys. As soon as you turn 12, you've heard this. They have the bullfights, right? And in Portugal, it's more like. You know, in Spain they have the guy with the sword, and in Portugal mostly, you don't have that. There's no such thing. It's actually illegal to kill a bull in, in Portugal. But anyway, it is a cat and mouse game. And you know why they do it? With they force the young boys to go in and 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 fight with the bull, but they bring out the the younger bulls, the smaller ones, right? For the young people, and they have the for the adults. And so when I go in there, I got my my godfather. Everybody saying, "Julio, get in there, go face the bull, put hair on your chest, <laughs> right? Be a man, you know." I know why they do it. I mean, culturally, they do it because they're trying to get fear out of the boy. Because in that part of the world, you really only go to school till you're in grade three or grade six, and then you're out working. And by that time, they want you to be not be afraid. And in that town, one of the most highly employed positions was contraband between you and the next town over the border in Spain. And so you have to walk the mountains. And face wolves, and face all these things, and so they got to get that fear out of you. But that produces a very different type of man when you go through these things, and it's not godly. I can tell you right away, it's not godly, because I see what those men grow up to be. They grow up to be some very, very harsh human beings, thick-skinned, very harsh human beings, and that's not what God calls us to be. So when you look at every model, I don't care if it's your parents. I don't care if it's your culture. 
I don't care where you get your model from, but if you blindly accept it, if you blindly accept it, you are in danger of failure. Because unless it's looked at through the lens of what God calls a man to be, a father calls a man to be, then we should not accept it and reject it. And it took time for me to realize that as a man. Well, that bullfighting thing actually is kind of crazy. I could have gotten hurt. These days, they actually cut off the tips. But back then, they didn't. Man, if you got caught, there was an ambulance waiting by. Now I know why they had ambulances nearby. Get you to the hospital before you lose a lot of blood. Get you stitched up right away. Crazy, eh? It's crazy. And so I'm here to say, look, I don't care where you come from, where you were raised, who your father was. And I love my father. He passed away last year. But I learned one thing is that there are things in my father that were godly and those are the things I hold on to. And my dad wasn't perfect. I'm not perfect, you're not perfect. And the one thing that you can pray, and this is a prayer that every man and father should be, is to say, Lord, may the examples that bring you glory in my life and behavior be the ones that my son adopt. And those that do not, that my son rejects. Amen? We cannot serve two masters. We cannot adopt what, what the world has for us. We have to look at things differently. And so today, I want to take us back to a story in the Bible that has some meaning for us that I think is going to give us a clue as to what God is trying to tell us a father should be and what a man should be. Amen? David and Goliath. Talk about two different men, eh? David and Goliath. And here's the story in the backdrop. So here is, here is David, and you've heard this story so many times, you know, the, the little shepherd boy and all that he is, and everybody thinks that he's the youngest, you know, the guy who's the most insignificant. And all of a sudden there's this... Israel is going to war and his three eldest brothers are, are going into the, to battle to follow the king Saul. But what people forget, right, the three brothers, they're soldiers, right? That's being manly, right? We're following God's will. Who asked? Who wanted the king? Who wanted the king? Was it God? No. The people of Israel wanted the king. Why? Yes, to be like the other nations. They say, God, give us a king like everybody else. We want an army like everybody else. We don't want to go to war with pitchforks. We want to be like everyone with chariots and everything and armor and all those things. You see how easily there's three 
Israeli men going to war, and you can see how they probably thought, oh, yes, we're men, we're the eldest, we're strong, we're here. And what they don't even realize is it's not even, it was never in God's plan to actually do that. To be there. To be men of that fashion at all. Yet to that society, oh, to be called into Saul's service as a soldier and to wear all this armor and be strong. That's what it is to be a man. And, and look, you can see this in, in, in the story. 1 Samuel chapter 17, verse 28. says this. Now, Eliab, the eldest brother, heard when he spoke to the men. So here's David going around speaking to the men, going, like, who's this guy, Goliath? Like, why are you guys so scared? Okay? And so his older brother started to get a little jealous and angry. And Eliab's anger was kindled against David, and he said, why have you come down? And with whom have you left those few sheep in the wilderness? See how he's belittling them? You little nothing. I'm a big guy. I'm your older brother. I know better than you. I can stomp you out. You go take care of those smelly things over in the, in, in the meadows over there. He goes, and I know your presumption and the evil of your heart. Can you believe that? Calling David evil. For you have come down to see the battle. He thinks that David's like him, fascinated with battles and arms. And, and boys are, like, I, I tell you, boys are. And that's what David's being accused of. He's being accused of wanting to be a soldier, wanting to be part of an army, wanting to go to battle. Because that's the perception of what a man is, right? Let's go off to war and fight the battle. And it wasn't just his brother. Look what Saul said in verse 33. And Saul said to David, You are not able to go up against the Philistine to fight with him. You are but a youth. And he has been a man of war from his youth. Who are you? You're a little squirt. I can just see him. He's probably the skinny little guy. You know what I mean? My son reminds me of what David would be. Because, you know, they, they reach those older teenage years and, and they still haven't bulked out, you know? It's, I could just see David being like that and, and Saul, you know, you don't look like the kind of guy that could take on Goliath. I have a lot stronger guys. And so here's David. In contrast to what Saul expects, in contrast to what his brother expects, look at David's response. Verses 34 to 37. But David said to Saul, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. You guys know this story well. And when there came a lion or a bear, I took a lamb from the flock, to take a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose again against me, I caught him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears, and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them, for he has defiled the armies of the living God. Now, I don't know about you, like a lot of times we look at what Saul would have thought, 
And you might think, oh, Saul was being altruistic and, you know, sending out David, you know. But I could just see Saul saying, oh, so you think you're such a big shot, don't you? You know, just like his brother. You think you're such a big shot. Okay. Let's see what you can do. And so then David said to Saul, sorry, sorry, I jumped a bit ahead here. Your servant has struck down lions and bears, right? And then David in verse 37 says, And David said, The Lord who delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear will deliver me from the hand of the Philistine. And so Saul said, Go, and the Lord be with you. You see, that which we reject, that which we belittle, God will exalt. Amen. Amen. It even says in, in Romans 9, 16, sorry guys, I didn't give you this scripture, but it, it says, you know, that God did things in a completely different way, you know, like he picked Jacob over Esau, right? The youngest instead of the oldest. The things that he did with Pharaoh. Why? Why does God do these types of things? There it is. So it doesn't depend on human will or exertion. We look to want to have kings in our life. We create pictures of what a father should be or what a man should be. But God does things differently. Very differently. Very differently. And this is what happened. So I said, okay, David, this is Saul. Okay, David, the Lord be with you if you, if you think that you can go down and go. Well, at least, at least put on my armor, right? Put on some armor. So, verse 38, then Saul clothed David with his armor. He put a helmet of bronze on his head and clothed them with a coat of mail. And David strapped his sword over his armor and he tried to go, in vain to go for he had not tested them for he had not tested them. Now some of your translations might say it didn't fit him. But the actual word is proven. So here's David, this probably skinny little guy with this armor, you know, sort of like children when they put on, you know, the father's clothes and walk around the house, right? And, you're, and they, that's probably what David looked like. And it probably didn't feel good on David. And David's going, wait a minute, you want me to go fight Goliath with this? This doesn't feel right. This stuff that you created with human hands, this leather and bronze plated armor that you're putting on me to protect myself, that isn't, that isn't what I know. It doesn't fit. It doesn't make sense. I'm being called to go do something. God has put on my heart to face Goliath. But you're telling me I got to do it this way? If God has taught me to face lions and bears to protect the sheep, without this, what would happen if David had accepted that armor? What would have happened? 
Goliath wouldn't have been the one on the floor. David would have been the one on the floor. And you see, we are faced every day with the option to put on the armor and clothes and other things that this world has to offer us. Every day. Even the definition of what a man is. The definition of what a father should be. A woman. A mother. We face that every day. In what we watch. The people that teach us. And the question is, is do we accept their armor? Do we accept their sword? It looks good. It sounds good. Yeah, if an arrow came, it might save my life. Go ahead. Use your rationalism. Use your rationalism. But here's what the Bible says. The wisdom of man is foolishness to God. So what does David do? Then David said to Saul, I cannot go with these, for I have not tested them. These things haven't proven to actually do anything. Some of your translations say they didn't, don't fit me, but the actual word is proven, tested. Fruit. Get, do you get it? I, have, I, I can't put this on because I've never generated any fruit with these. When God has called me to battle against the lions and the bears, I didn't accomplish that with armor and swords. So David took them off. And then David says, then David took his staff, little wooden staff that probably Goliath, if he put it on an angle, can just stomp it and crack it. Took his staff. And he chose five smooth stones. Five smooth stones. From the brook. And he put it in his shepherd's pouch. His sling was in his hand, and he approached the Philistine. The staff. They're probably thinking, you're going to go out with a staff against the spear and the sword? I could just imagine what the soldiers were thinking. Oh, this is going to be interesting to see. Here's a little pipsqueak kid going out to Goliath. Goliath's going to chop him up. That staff is going to be like a toothpick. Goliath's sword and spear is probably sharp, so sharp that it can probably split a hair. Ready for battle. So experienced. I can just, just see all of the men, the thousands of men just watching this. Some of them are in awe, and some of them are thinking this is, this is stupid. Others might be thinking, why are they letting a little kid go down to his death? Like, can you imagine all the things that were going through people's heads? Because they were on top of two mountains and they had come down to a valley. So David goes. David goes. You see, David knew that his strength came from God, not from men. 
that his support came from God. And God didn't see him as a little pipsqueak. God does not see you as a failure. God does not see you as someone who's given up. We need to start seeing ourselves the way God sees us. You are a child of God. You are a mighty warrior. You are. But you're going to fight God's way, not man's way. You're going to be a wonderful father. And if you've made mistakes, you will be a wonderful father. You can change things because God is who you put first if you put on his armor in your life. All the lawyers will tell you stuff. All the people who counsel you will tell you stuff. I'm not saying you shouldn't use lawyers and I'm not saying you should use counselors. But if you're not on your knees, you see, that's, that's the type of man. A man who sings to God, a man who prays to God, a man who listens to God. That is the kind of man that God wants. Amen. Amen. And that's what David knew. And so the stones were a very interesting point that was put in that story. Yes, we all expected the staff, right? And the sling, and the sling needs stones. But why not any stone? Why couldn't he have picked any stone on the ground? What happens to stones when they've been in a river for a long time? Yeah, they become smooth. Their rough edges begin to come off. And you see, those stones are a picture of what God does in our life. Your new name is going to be on a stone. Right? That's what the Bible says. When we go to heaven, you will receive a new name. A name, a stone, you are a stone being molded by God. God wants to take out our rough edges. God wants to smooth us out. God wants to make us the types of stones that are strong and that can do battle and that can take down Goliath. Those are the stones that when are thrown go straight and are sharp and actually do the powerful things that God wants us to do. Not the jagged edge stones on the road, but the stones that have been shaped by the river, by the water, the flowing water of the Spirit, the transformation of the Spirit. You see, those stones symbolize what God wants to do in our life. And that when we become the stone that God calls us to be, if I can use that analogy, God can use us to take down Goliaths in life. Do you believe that God can use you to take down Goliaths in life? Because God can use you. 
but you need to be shaped. Your rough edges need to be cut off. You need to be smoothed. Not kicked into a ring with a bull so you run around and lose fear. That's not the kind of man God wants us to be. Not the kind of man that has harshness in his voice towards his children, but smoothed, shaped, ready for battle. So that when you come out of the sling that God has ordained, you can kill lions and bears that come after you and your family and your children and your neighbors and your cousins and everybody that God has put in your life. This is how God wants to see men smoothed and shaped. In everything. I, I've told you about this, this Christian online whose ministry is to reach out to men who are gay. And he used to be gay. And now he has a, a ministry online, it's called The Beckett Show, and he talks about the culture. You know what the one thing he says? He says, when you take on that identity, you're already losing. And what he teaches people who struggle with being gay is to say, when you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, that identity doesn't count anymore. It's gone. You are now a Christian. You are now a Christian man in the sight of God. God sees you as the man you are to be. Don't accept any other label. Nothing. And he says when men start to accept the label that God has given them, they become free even from things like that. We are to be stones, shaped, transformed. Let me, let's look at some examples in the Bible. Joseph, Matthew 1.19. Look at Joseph. Tell me if he is not a stone shaped. Matthew 1.19, and her husband Joseph, being a just man and willing to put her, not willing to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. That was an unusual act. Because men in those days, if you're a man and they ashamed you like that, how dare she? Because you see, once you get engaged, you are considered man and woman. I, I don't know if you guys ever saw the movie... A Christmas story, it actually has a good depiction in there. Where the father says, you are now husband and wife and in all things except one, consummation. And that's a year from now. But they were considered husband and wife. And she had shamed him. Everybody that he knew they would have talked to would have said, she deserves to be stoned. Because that is the punishment, the law. But Joseph was a smooth stone. Look at his humility. We've been talking about the Beatitudes, being poor in spirit. Joseph was poor in spirit. He knew that he wasn't better than Mary. He was poor in spirit. Look at Joseph again in 124. When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. 
What does that tell you? He's a stone. He is sensitive to the Lord's leaning. He is sensitive to when God talks to him. He's obedient to what God asks him to do. Even when it seems like it is totally radical and against everything that everybody says, that is a stone that is smooth and that is more courageous than anything else in this world. Going against what everybody tells you not to do, but God tells you to do something and you do it. That is courage. Joseph didn't go and flaunt it. He didn't go and say, all you guys are wrong and and how dare you and shame on you and you shouldn't think like that. That wasn't Joseph's style. He quietly did things. He quietly didn't judge, didn't talk back, didn't try to, to point fingers at people and tell them they were wrong. He just did what was right. And that is another thing that God asks men to do, is don't just talk about stuff. In fact, maybe sometimes we should stop talking and just do. Be humble, poor in spirit, and be more about doing what God wants us to be instead of talking about it. We can be really good at it. Yesterday, in the men's breakfast, you know, we started talking about the government. Ah, oh, Trudeau this, and you know, all right. We love to do this, you know, like what guys, you were at, you were at a table, right? Uh, and, Cana- and especially, you put on that, we're men, and we're Canadians. It's almost like, you know, that is a, a recipe for, like, criticizing the government. That's what we do. We love, you know, you put some guys together, and we start to think about, ah, oh, you know, it's, That's just us. We, we're like that, you know. Or we start complaining about our team that we like. Oh, gee. Yeah, what's going on? Pastor Dino, and, and, and now he's, he's really having a hard time with the Blue Jays. Ah, oh, you should hear him. But Joseph quietly did what he was asked. Look at Matthew 2, 22 to 24. But when he heard that Archelaus was reigning over Judea in the place of his father Herod. He was afraid to go there. And being warned in a dream, he withdrew to the district of Galilee. And he went and lived in a city called Nazareth. He was afraid. Oh, men shouldn't be afraid. Really? Didn't God design us to have fear? To laugh, to fear, to feel pain. He wasn't a coward. He knew the danger. He wanted to protect his family, and that was paramount to him. He was sensitive to what the angel said to him, he was sensitive to his family, and he wanted what was best for his family. (laughs) And look what he did when Jesus was a boy. Luke 2, verse 41. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the Feast of Passover, and he was a man after God. He was humble, he was sensitive, He didn't go around trying to justify and point fingers. He felt for his family and for their well-being. 
But he made sure every year that they all went to Jerusalem to, for the feast of the Passover. Every year. He was faithful. Faithful. That is a father. If you want to look at an example of the father, that is a beautiful example of a father. Well, let me give you another example of a father. Paul. Well, Pastor Julio, Paul had no children. How could he be a father? How can anybody who doesn't have children be a father? Well, 1 Corinthians 4.17. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. And he says it a couple, in, in, in another part of the letter, I think it's 2 Timothy, I can't remember anyway, I didn't copy down that verse. He calls him his son. You see, yes, fatherhood isn't just about the biological aspect of who you are. Fatherhood has a lot to do with manhood and what you represent in the church, men of God. There are Timothys in this church. There are children who don't have a man in their life. And I have seen it. I work with them. I see them downstairs. And I've been working with them one-on-one, and I tell you, there's one boy who was almost wanting to attempt suicide on a regular basis. And now, because there's a man talking into his life, I see him raising his hand, worshiping God. I see him praying. He was a statistic like I told you. And now, and it's more than one. And I see it. I remembered when I stepped into that role because there was a vacancy there. I go, okay, this will be the third time I'm a youth pastor. At my age, I said, Lord, you know what you're doing. (laughs) And when I see those young men and women, and I said, Lord, I'm not, I don't want them to see me, I want them to see you. Even up here, I don't want you to see me. I want you to see the God who's given me the words. I have a certain style. Yeah, I'm bivocational, you know. I'm a pastor and I work in the world, but I don't want you to see that. I don't want you to see that. I want you to see what God has created in me rather than what the world wants to see. And I want the words of God to be heard, not my words. Because that's what transforms these young people and guess what every one of you men you can be Paul to a Timothy in this church we need fathers like Paul
and Paul did this in to do with Timothy. He did it with many people that he mentored. You can see that in the scriptures. Just read them and you'll see. He calls other people his child, his son. And he had no biological children. What about David? David is another beautiful example of this. Second Samuel chapter 9, 9 to 11. Then the king called Ziba. Now David, going from this scrawny little kid, is now king. His friend Jonathan is dead. And he called Ziba, Saul's servant, and said to him, All that belonged to Saul and all his house I have given to your master's grandson. Do you know who he's talking about? Mephibosheth, yes. Here is David. And you, and you got to understand that in those days, eh, they wanted a king, but this is what kings did. If you were a king and you took over as a king, and there, from a different family lineage, and there was anybody alive in that family lineage, you were seen as stupid if you didn't kill everybody in that lineage. Because that was the norm. That was the norm. And so, everybody probably was expecting David to do something to Jonathan's son. But what did David do? Look at verse 11. Then Ziba said to the king, according to all that my lord the king commands his servant, so will your servant do. So Mephibosheth ate at, the tab- at David's table like one of the king's sons. You see, I am calling us today, men of Logos, to be fathers the way God calls us to be and men the way God calls us to be, but not just to our own, but to, to each other, to each and every person in this church, to your neighbors, to those that need you, and, and God can put that on your I know men in the church that are like Paul. Either you don't have children yet, you never had children. But you are mighty men of God because you are smooth stones that have been molded by God. You can be a smooth stone in God's hands, in God's sling. You can fight off the lions and bears that want to devour people in this church. David praised and prayed Read the Psalms, right? A mighty man of God is a man who can praise God and get on his knees and receive from God. And we need men in this church to do that. Paul and David, they didn't have to do what they did, but they took on other brothers, other people, and they brought them in and treated them like family. Logos, the word of God,
Christian family church. This isn't a church about nuclear families. This is a church about family in Christ. That is why the word family is in there. And so I call upon you men of Logos to be a father and man to each and every one of us here. To the young ones, to the older ones, to all of them. Like David and Paul. But here's how you can do that. We read Romans, right? Not by man's will or exertion. Right? Matthew 5.48. You therefore must be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect. Ooh, that's a tall order. That is a tall order. The Father is a perfect Father. To the fatherless, to everyone. So how can you be perfect? Well, this is how, Romans 5.8. But God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. See, God isn't waiting for you to become perfect. You're the stone in the river, right? The river keeps flowing. Just like clay in a potter's hand. Just like David growing up as a shepherd, learning how to fight off lions and bears. God is already working in you. God has already worked in you. You have things in you that God has already been preparing for a long time. There is so much that you have that you can give. Why? Because God is working perfectly in you. And he's not asking for you to be perfect by what you are, by what your capability is, by how smart you are. He's asking you to be perfect by the things that he's put in you, that he's done for you, that he's prepared you to be. Because those are the things that are perfect. That which work he has done in you, not what you have done yourself. And he loved us. And he has put love in us. And he has given us the love for us to love. And that is the love that we as men need to share in this church. Amen? Second Peter 3, 9. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. The Lord is patient with you. He has been patient with you. Man, it takes a long time for a rock to be smoothed out in a brook. We're not talking about Niagara Falls. We're talking about a brook. You know, that takes a long time. And we can be very stubborn, okay? And we, we're, we need a lot of smoothing. And it takes a long time. And God's been patient with us. And so in the same way that God has loved us and been patient with us, God is asking us to be patient with others. Let's look at another aspect of the Father. 
Isaiah 41.10. Fear not, for I am with you. Be not ashamed, dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you, I will help you, I will uphold you with my righteous hand. He's not looking at your strength. You know my cousin, the guy who looks like Flintstone, doing his thing? It's great that he has that strength, he can use it for work, but that's not what God's looking for. There's a strength that what God is preparing you as he's smoothing you out in life. There's a strength, a conviction. If there's one thing that I, I want to see more is conviction. Men who are convicted in wanting to serve the Lord. I'm not asking you to go out there and judge people and argue and debate with them. He's asking you to live by conviction. To be a testimony and a witness. To not be afraid. And why? Because he's the one who gives you the strength. I will strengthen you, the Lord says. It is his love that's in you, his patience that's in you. That is the fruit. And we can only do that on our knees, in the word, in fellowship. And so if you want to be the father to your children that you need to be, if you want to be a man of God, to people in this church, to children in this church who need examples of men of God, those qualities don't come from us. They don't come from me. I'll be the first one to admit it. They don't come from me. I wouldn't have been the man up here, but when I became a Christian, God took away from me the one thing that I wanted the most. Power and money. And I knew that I could do it. I was so confident. So confident that I could start a business, any business, multiple business, and make lots of money. I've told you my story. As I, I, was, not, I was not a believer. And I would, I would make money in school. My mom would tell me that when I was in grade school, I'd go around selling toys. <laughs> Buy them at one price and sell them at another. In, in school, just to make money. When I was in high school, I got so fed up with how the teachers used to run the prom that I took over. And I made it a contest. I sold 200 tickets, they sold 10. And I made a bundle of money. I, I, my tickets were a lot more expensive than theirs. Everybody in my family, this is what happened, and we were smugglers, okay? I'm a con- my family was a family of contrabandists, right? We were smugglers. I remember as a kid, my godfather talking to this policeman and sh- giving him an envelope full of a stack of, you know, money. And I, said, I said, and I was a little kid, and I said, what are you doing? And he goes, oh, I gotta, I gotta run some goats across the, the hills and sell them in town, but you know, they might stop me and take my goats away, so I just paid him not to be in the, in the valley where I'm going. And so what happened was, when the EU came, they gave them all money and said, we don't want you to smuggle anymore. Start a business. I mean, they were entrepreneurial. I mean, to be, a, to, to be in contraband, you've got to be entrepreneurial and, and, and agile, right? So they all started businesses. So I have family all over Europe that started small businesses. Hotels, trout farms, you name it. I mean, I, I just... I'm sort of sometimes shocked at what they did. They took the EU's money and, okay, I'll start a business. 
And so I was so confident, so confident. I had no, I knew I was going to do. In school, you know how they say, the, the, you know, they name the class clown and all that kind of stuff, right? The one most likely to succeed was me. And so when I graduated from university and I accepted the Lord into my heart, do you know what God said? You are never to own and start a business. If you're going to serve me, you will forget that and put it away for your whole life. And I never did. And it wasn't easy. It still isn't easy. I'm not saying that starting a business is bad. If you go ahead. Why? God knew what it would have done to me. I wouldn't have been the man I am today if I had done that. I can look back and just imagine what kind of person I would have been. I didn't want to be that to my, my children because I would have just been consumed. I would have allowed the business to consume me. Oh, my tithes would have been big. But God doesn't care about my tithes. He wants me to serve him. And you're going to be asked to give up things. You're going to be asked to give up things. But that's when his strength comes in. I will strengthen you. I will be your strength. Philippians 4.19 And my God will supply every need of yours according to his riches and glory in Christ Jesus. He has supplied me with more than I need. He will supply you with more than you need. You just need to surrender to Christ. And that is the kind of man God wants. You see, the aspects of what God is, who the Father is, he wants to create in each and every one of us. And especially you guys, you. And on Father's Day, as we go to celebrate and honor fathers, my challenges to the fathers is don't let go of what God wants you to be. Hold on to it. Because there's so much up against you these days. So much. You're being attacked left, right, and center. People are trying to change what you should be how you should think. Don't let that happen. Children, pray for your fathers. Pray for them. And I know that that's not something that comes natural. You know, because when you're young, you're just used to receiving. My, my wife and I were saying, even when we were young and we were newlywed and we'd go somewhere with my, my parents, We'd go out gallivanting all over the place, like we'd go to Portugal, right, just because we'd have family there. We'd go out, you know, do the touristy thing, and we'd come home, and there'd be a hot meal there every day. It's almost like expected, you know, like parents, yeah, they expected, you know, and, and now I'm doing that, you know. It was the food. Now I know that if I have food at home, nice and hot, my kids come around a lot more and bring their friends too. And so I know that even when we're young adults, sometimes it's not something natural, but I ask you, pray for your fathers. Pray for them. They need it. Maybe you think, oh, my dad isn't that great. Well, pray more. They need your prayer. 
Wives, just like the children, honor your husbands. Honor them. And husbands, I say to you, you know, Ephesians, to going back, we just had a wedding and, you know, it says, you know, wives, submit to your husbands. And I always remind people that, you know, in the Hebrew language, there is no such thing as submission. That word doesn't exist. That's a Greek word. Right? So how would Hebrew women, if they don't, if there's no such word as submit in Hebrew, how, how would they relate to their husbands? Because, you know, like, this was a Hebrew society, right? Hebrew weddings. So what's going on here? Oh, I think I'm losing. Oh, no, I'm here. The Bible provides the answer. Even though they have to use the Greek word, the next paragraph, it says, men love your wives. And that's the key. It's a submission that only comes when love is expressed. You're not going to get submission without love. Did you submit to Christ without love? If you did it out of fear for fire insurance, I don't know if that's real. Like, don't do it out of fear because you're going to hell. Because I, I, you know, I want to avoid hell too, but the reason why I followed Christ is because he loved me first. It's out of love that my obedience came in. It's out of love. So men, treat your wives with love and obedience will come in the way. Because in Hebrew, it's actually listen and respond. They will hear you. They will hear your love. They will see your love and they will respond. That is godly love. And a godly man and a godly father and a godly husband. Be what God wants us to be as husbands and fathers and men. But it can't be our love, it's God's love. You see, it's God's love in us. I will strengthen you. I will provide the love. I will supply. These are the promises in the Bible. And so as we set aside ourselves and accept what God has for us, and allow him to mold us as stones in the river, we become transformed into something totally different. Totally different. And if you're fatherless in this church, you have the greatest example in the Father in heaven. The greatest example. And he can be your father. But you have godly men in this church. Seek them out. And godly men, be like Paul and David. Seek others out. Be a mentor and father that they need as Paul was, as David was. Extend what God has given you beyond where you are. Because here's the, here's the secret. If God, okay, if you use your strength... You're the one filling the cup. Okay? So if you gave me a cup of water, if you gave me a cup and I had to fill it, I'd have to go to the faucet and hope that all the plumbing works. You know, men's efforts, right? But if you use God's living water, when you give, what happens? Every time you give of what you've created, it empties itself out. 
and it has to be replenished by your own strength, by your own will, by your own ideas, by your own way of doing things. But when it's the Father's love that he has put in you, and you're giving that out, more comes automatically. You don't have to go to the tap. You don't have to figure out where to find it. It just comes. And you love one person over here, another person over there. And you might think, well, I don't know if I have enough love to go around. If it's the Father's love, he's going to give you more. And more. And more. And as you love more, more will flow out. And as you give more, more will come out. If you find yourself being drained, it's a sign that maybe you're trying too hard in your own way. You know, I remember when I, when God, I used to be, many of you don't know this, but I used to be a pastor at Logos a long time ago. And then God called me and my wife to go downtown to help people in the streets, in the inner city. You know, and, and I was a, I had a rough edge, you know. I came from an immigrant home. You know, parents were immigrants, they came here. My dad used to tell me, there was no welfare when I came here. If I didn't have a job, there was no check. I had to go out worm picking at night in the fields to put bread and food on the table. And, you know, and he was Catholic. He didn't know much of the Bible, but he knew that verse. If you don't work, you don't eat. You know? And so when I went down, and I'm, fa- I'm here, and this is how, you know, you have tables. Some of you who used to do community night with me, and you have tables on either side, right? And, and so all the people from the street come, and they sit down, and you're the waiter, right? And, and the first thing that comes, you lazy bums, you're coming here for free food. <laughs> that was in me. That was in me. If you don't work, you don't eat. And you're scamming all these churches that come down and give you food. And then all of you leave, you know, like, because we used to, you know, like the Salvation Army down the street used to make them stay for the service and then feed them. We did the opposite way. We fed them, and then 99% of them left, and only a few would stay for the service. I went to the, I went to Bill, I go, Bill, I go, they all leave. Like, what's, what's, what's this, man? Don't you want to get the word in there? Like, make them stay. Hear the word. Let them hear the word. That's what's going to transform it. And Bill said, Julio, you can't force people to hear. They got to want to hear. And then God gave me the example of Chuck. You guys have heard this story. Chuck. Chuck. One of the most violent men was on the list of the most violent men in Canada on the police website was a pimp, a drug dealer, a drug addict. I told you, when he, when he became saved, he had no idea that drugs were a bad thing. I remember I told you what he did at Christmas? He got a bunch of pot, and as people were lining up to get clothes, he was going, oh, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas, Merry Christmas. And they were all going, oh, Chuck, you're so great, thank you so much. And I'm there, oh, Lord, what am I going to do? And the Lord put on my heart, wasn't I patient with you? 
Yes. And be patient with him. You see, we're quick to judge sometimes, you know? And I was quick to judge. And man, did God smooth me out those years. And God will use your life experiences to smooth you out and allow those experiences to be a blessing to others. Accept them, embrace them, don't forget them. And I read out of Romans 9, and this is one of my uh, verses that I go to a lot recently. Romans 9.23. And he did and he did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels. You know what he's talking about? Vessels destined for destruction. And then he took some of those vessels and he created new vessels. And why did he do that? Because he wanted the vessels. He did so to make known the riches of his glory upon vessels of mercy which he prepared beforehand for glory. You see, men, before you even were named, were born, went to school, got married, children, whatever it was, you were destined for mercy and glory. You were destined to be in the brook. You were destined to be shaped. You were destined to be vessels formed by God's hands. And now, this world needs those kind of vessels. That kind of a definition of man. That kind of definition of father. That empties himself of what he thinks love is and allows God's love to come in. Empties himself of what he thinks strength is and allows God's strength to flow through him so he can give and give and give and give and continue giving and it'll never stop. And after a year of awkwardness and working downtown, it became so natural to me to work with those people and Chuck became a dear friend. And as he was dying and withering away from cancer, and he had been saved by the Lord, I went to visit him, and we were, he had the Bible by his bedside. <laughs> he had been smoothed, and he said, Julia, I'm ready to go see him. I'm ready to go see him. And I was visiting him, he says, I have somebody coming, somebody who is, isn't a believer somebody that he used to hire to deal, coming to see him, and he was going to tell him about the Lord. Before he died, he tried to tell as many people about God as he could. His fellow pimps, the prostitutes who worked for him, the drug, ad, the drug dealers that worked for him, he, uh, the drug addicts he supplied, he tried to tell as many about God as he could before he died. And I thought... Man, you're withering away. You got cancer, AIDS, all of that coming out. He goes, it's okay, I'm going to keep going. I don't care. I'm going to keep going. I know it's close, but until then, I'm going to do it every day. Tell as many people as I can. He went from being a flake 
to being a man. He was smooth. He was so smooth. He didn't look it. <laughs> he didn't look it in many Christians' eyes because if you went to look up Chuck online, you would see him on the police website as one of the most dangerous criminals in Toronto. <laughs> he was plastered there. You would think, oh, this guy's a smooth stone of God. Yeah, he is. Not before, but after. He had spent many years in the brook. And so this is my challenge to you today, men of Logos. Let's be stones in the brook. Call up the band, please. Are you ready to be stones in the brook? Smooth, shaped, be put in the sling. You are called to be slayers of lions and bears. You are called to be mighty, to be straight in what God has called you to be. Don't put on the armor that the world has to give you, the shiny armor with the big swords, the fancy words, and that's not what a man is. A man is a man who spends time in the word on their knees who loves others, who allows God's love to flow through them, who doesn't just look at their own situation, but others and reaches out and loves them and wants to help them. Who sees the young people who don't have a father. The statistics are not just out there. The statistics are in here as well. I see them. I've had to walk through some of them, of these statistics. And they need to see you men of Logos. How you are meant to your wives, to your children, to your neighbors. You can be fathers to them. You can be a father to someone in this church, a brother, a mentor. I believe. Why? Because God says that he can make you that way. And I believe his word. And you're here today because you believe his word. You're here today because you came to hear his word. Let it mold you. Let's be smooth. Let us stand. And so today when you think of fatherhood, Think of God, our Father, molding you, shaping you into the man he wants you to be. So let's be that man and that father. Amen?